Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for another Sunday to worship you. We thank you for this special day in our church. We pray a special measure of blessing on it today. I pray, Father, that your people will be blessed. They will be encouraged. They will be stirred up. Father, I pray that you will just cause us to to be the church that you want us to be and all of the gifts in operation, Father, in this place, Father, and that we'll be excited to serve you. And so, Father, we pray for that. I pray for the anointing of the Lord on every teacher and every every classroom, on our pastor and on our orchestra and choir and all of those, Lord, who will be participating in this service, Father, that it is glorifying to you and you accomplish that which you desire today, that you are glorified and your people are blessed. And we ask it in Jesus' name and may you receive all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to talk about today is Yahweh Nisi, the Lord my banner. And I want to bring out a few things about this. And, and it reminds me of whenever we used to see a movie or something like that with um, an army and you'd have a commander or something that was mounted and he would lead a charge. I wanted to show you that to give you an example of what I believe the Lord our banner refers to. And I hope you'll understand that by the time we're done with this lesson. But it's like that, that man, um, Peter, I believe in the movie, that was on the white horse that was charging ahead and leading the armies and they were fighting with him under his banner let's talk about that and let's see why that video clip might kind of connect with this idea of the lord our banner yahweh nisi the word for nisi means actually some type of flag or signal it's something that's lifted up it's like a signal that's on a pole it's considered a banner under which Israel could rally for victory. The Lord's name was the battle cry. There's another reference, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, that speaks of this. He says, banners were identifying flags or streamers attached to the end of a standard. Throughout history, they have served three main purposes. They've identified a group, they've claimed possession of a space or territory, and they have lended festivity to a celebration. And there are several others that speak of how it would draw people together, and it was a rallying point for battle. That was one of the main things it was used for. And so I want to look at this a little bit with the scriptures and considering some scriptures that might correlate here, and definitely the one where we find Yahweh Nisi mentioned. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about this one. These definitions show us how Jesus being lifted up on the pole was similar. Let's look at in Numbers 21. That's where I'm going to start with. In Numbers 21, we see a story where the children of Israel have, they've just been through some things and they have come out of Egypt not long before this. And they're in the, they're in the wilderness wanderings. And it says in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Talking about the manna that God provided. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. This pole is the standard, or is the nis in Hebrew. It's the root from which nisi comes. It's interesting and in how this is prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said so himself in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verse 14, he's talking to Nicodemus. Now think about who Nicodemus is. He is a, a Sanhedrinist. He's one of the leaders of Israel. He's one who should have known the Torah left and right. He should have known it verse by verse. He should have known exactly what it meant, and yet he had no understanding of it. And he comes to Jesus by night, and Jesus sits down and has a Bible study with him. And he tells him, he says, Nicodemus, you should know the law. Are you a teacher of the law, and yet you don't understand the things that I'm telling you? And then he speaks to him about him needing to be born again, remember? And in that discourse, Jesus talks to him about how he remembers. He reminds him, he said, you remember the serpent on the pole that Moses lifted up? So must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he is lifted up on the pole, which we call the cross, and that is his niece, according to this um, Hebrew word. It speaks of Jesus. He is the banner that is lifted on the pole, on the cross. Now, let's read where Moses gave the name Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi as a memorial in the story. So let's go back to the story. It is found in Exodus chapter 17, and it's in verse 8. We're going to begin reading. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So we get in this story, Israel's been journeying through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They've just been fed and they've come in to the valley of Rephidim. They've just had the water from the rock not long before that. And they're surrounded by beautiful mountains. And yet the people were tired and weary. We were told that they were discouraged in their heart. So the Amalekites, these were the people of Amalek, they attacked them from behind. They came at them from the rear, unprovoked. They took advantage of Israel's situation. And God considered this attack especially heinous. We read about that later in the scriptures. Joshua appears on the scene here for the first time, and God begins his on-the-job training. 
because this is where Joshua will begin getting fit for the conquest of Canaan to lead the people into battle. Now, remember, this was a mob of people. They had just come out of being slaves in Egypt. They didn't know anything about fighting battles. They didn't know anything about warfare. They weren't soldiers, but yet they had to become soldiers. And so God gave them some quick on-the-job training. Aaron and Hur, which was Miriam's husband, became the instruments used here to help Moses to accomplish this victory. So they encounter this their first enemy, their first real enemy on the way to the promised land, which was the Amalekites. Now let's think about who Amalek was. He was a grandson of Esau. He was called a dweller in the valley. And it was because of this attack that God gave him a specific curse that he would blot out his name and his remembrance. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 25. The Amalekites were fierce. They were some of the most warlike of all the nations. Josephus, who is the first century historian, records this, that they were the most warlike and they conspired with other nations to launch this attack on the Israelites, unprovoked. They came at them from behind and struck them unawares. And in this, he talks about, Josephus talks about, how the battle became close. It was even kind of a hand-to-hand combat, similar to what we just saw in that video clip. If you, if you kept going, you'd see where they came very close, person to person, in their combat. And it taught them that Israel was to rely on divine assistance. Moses had the rod of God, and he had to keep his hands lifted up with the rod of God. Now, this can be symbolic of prayer, but it can also stress that the rod was their victory. And they had to remember, they had, it had to remain raised. They had to remember that it was the Lord who was their banner. It was the Lord who was fighting for them. It was the Lord who was over them. I can read you some other things in here, but I'm going to move on because I want to get to what we're talking about today. Josephus points out one more thing, though, how sweet the victory was. I want you to listen to this. He says this, nor was any one of the Hebrews slain. But the slain of the enemy's army were too many to be enumerated. So they offered sacrifices to the Lord at this memorial altar because the Lord was their conqueror. And I found that interesting. You know, the, these Amalekites had tried to come against them from behind and unawares, and yet not one of God's children was killed. The ones on the enemy's side, God took care of them, and so many of them were destroyed, but not one. It's interesting when we see these things and how God was preparing them and how God became the victor in that situation. How many times are we not in a similar situation to this, to them today? We can get weary. We may not feel trained for war. We may not even call ourselves soldiers And the enemy comes and tries to take advantage of us. The Bible says that he comes for for one reason, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy us. And we in ourselves, just like they were, were no match for that enemy. In ourselves, we are no match for him. If we had to rely just on ourselves, if Israel had to rely just on themselves in the wilderness, They could not have fought the Amalekites. They could not have defeated them. They weren't trained for war. They weren't warriors like these men were. And yet God came through for them. That's the good news for Israel and for us today. 
We know that Yahweh is our covenant God. And now we see that he is playing out this covenant in this special way. He is becoming our banner. He is a conqueror, our victor in battle. The banner lifted up, secured their victory. Moses memorialized this by making this altar that he named Yahweh Nisi. Now years later, God sent Samuel to Israel's first king with an assignment. And he told him, he said, utterly destroy Amalek because of what they did to my people when they were coming through Israel or through the wilderness. God had noted that and he had said that he would have war with Amalek. Now there is still, Saul did not do that. He did not utterly destroy them. He spared Agag. And because of that, later on, Agag has a son, a descendant, later on down the line, whose name is Haman. And guess what Haman tries to do? Annihilate the Jews again. It's that same spirit that is even alive today. But guess what? (laughs) And tomorrow night in Revelation, we're going to be talking a little bit about this. We got a conquering king that's fixing to ride in on a white horse who is Yahweh Nisi, the Lord, our banner, and he will finally take care of our enemy and utterly destroy that spirit of Amalek and that spirit of the Antichrist. But Yahweh Nisi points us to a rallying point for battle, just like Israel had to fight, but they were victorious So too, in the New Testament, in our day, we have to fight, but we are victorious. We are in a battle. We are in warfare. We must see ourselves as soldiers and rally under the banner of the Lord in our battles, securing our victory through his banner over us. Notice how in that clip, if you'll remember, they were standing there ready to fight, and they didn't expect the birds to come over them and to grab those stones and to start hitting the enemy with the stones. That was a surprise to them. They were planning on fighting to the best of their ability, scared as anything. If you saw some of the faces, if you saw the face of Peter there and when they would clip to his face, you could see he was scared. He wasn't confident. He was scared, but he knew he had to do it. And so he engaged in the battle and he went on. And when they were ready to fight and he raised that sword, God sent those birds (laughs) and they grabbed those stones and started hitting those people. And God came through for them in a powerful way, just like he will for us today. That is Yahweh Nisi. We are in a battle and it is warfare. And we must see ourselves as soldiers and rally under his banner. But we need to remember also we do not fight alone. In that video clip, Peter and, those, and, the, and the army that was with him were not going into battle alone. They were scared, but they were not alone. God came through, and if you keep watching that movie, you'll see later that Aslan comes in at the end, and he takes care of the rest of it, you know, and he comes roaring in himself, just exactly like he's going to do in Revelation 19. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming as a roaring lion. Praise be to God. The New Testament gives us guidance and preparation for our own battles. 
And there are some strategic truths here. I want to read in 1 Timothy, and I apologize, I did not have an opportunity to pull these last scriptures, so I'll be pulling them up here real quick. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to read verse 18. In 1 Timothy 1, 18, it says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And he says, According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. By what do we wage the good warfare? We wage it by the promises and the prophecies that are made concerning us. According to Galatians chapter 3, we are the seed of Abraham, therefore heirs according to the promises to Abraham. They are ours to claim. Our God is the same God that was the God of the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. He is Yahweh. And he has bound himself to us. And we can claim his promises when we go into warfare. And we can wage a good warfare because that rod that Moses had to lift up was Yahweh Nisi, our banner, that fights with us. Notice, too, here how Paul instructs Timothy to wage a good warfare. Now, if he, if he identified it as a good warfare, it suggests to us that we can be involved sometimes in a bad warfare. And that's not what God wants us to do. We don't need to, to engage in the wrong fights in the wrong battles, things like fighting among ourselves, things like competition in the kingdom of God and other things. We don't need to be involved in those things. We need to be waging a good warfare because just like you saw that wicked witch thing of the enemy's army and she was like, I don't have any use for prisoners, kill them all. That's exactly the way our enemy is. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to kill you. He hates you. And I hate him just as much. <laughs> I can't stand him. And I praise God that we've got a conquering king who's one day going to take good care of him. And he'll never be able to rise again. And he'll never be able to fight us again. He'll never be able to accuse us again. He'll never be able to attack us again. We will finally be free of him because of our conquering king. But right now, we still have to wage a good warfare. And we do it based on the Word of God and the tools that we're given in the Word of God. Also, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And we need to sometimes get rid of our distractions. Sometimes we let distractions get in our way. And we get, we get tied up in the affairs of this life. And we get entangled in things we don't need to be entangled in that take us away from our real mission and take us away from fighting the, a good fight and fighting our real enemy. We must consider ourselves a soldier in God's army. We must recognize we are engaged in spiritual warfare and we have an enemy that hates us. He hates our gut. He wants us to be destroyed and killed. 
And he is always working in some way to that end, trying to get us, trying to destroy us in some way. And we must recognize that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. We have to be serious about that and have to fight. But the good news, we are not fighting alone. Just like Peter in that clip was not fighting alone. When the enemy rages in, Isaiah 59 tells us, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord. We talked about the Spirit of the Lord last week, Ruach HaKodesh. He comes in and he raises a standard. He raises the banner against him. He raises that against him and fights with us for our victory. We have a part to play in it. We, banner, we rally under the banner of the Lord and we do our part. And in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, we're told about the armor of God that we're to put on. All of those pieces, God has given us a whole suit. And we need to be suited up. I encourage you to pray that prayer every morning. Suit yourself up in the armor of God every day for whatever that day is going to hold. Put on the whole armor of God. That's our job. Paul instructs us in Ephesians 6 that he says, put it on. You've got to take it up. You've got to put it on. That's our job to do that. God's given us everything we need in those suit, in that whole suit. It's a whole armor. And then it tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, to use our weapons. And our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. They're able to do the job. We are able to fight our enemy to, to the death. We are able to fight our enemy in this life because we're not fighting alone. And in the last verse that I want to read you for today is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last chapter that we know of that Paul ever recorded. It's the last book that Paul wrote that we know of before his demise, before he was beheaded. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he says this, I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Paul has the testimony at the end. I fought the good fight. I didn't get bogged down in bad fights. I didn't fight the wrong fights. I didn't get wrapped up in jealousy or in competition or in any of those other distractions of life. I kept myself. I endured hardship as a good soldier. Now, you talk about somebody enduring hardship. We read about it in Scripture. He was beaten. He was stoned, left for dead. I mean, we're talking about Paul enduring some hardship. And when a soldier knows they're going out to battle against an enemy, they recognize that they are putting their life on the line. And they may or may not come out of that battle alive. And yet they engage with the enemy and they fight with the weapons that they're given. The good news for the Christian is that, yes, we've got a fierce enemy. Yes, he hates us. Yes, he wants to destroy us. But we have got a banner 
We have got the Lord Jesus Christ. We have got Yahweh Nisi who fights with us, who fights for us, who leads us in the charge. And we don't have to fear to engage with our enemy when needed. Because God is with us and he is fighting with us and for our victory and on our behalf. Paul's testimony here, it was a real struggle. But through God, I have fought through to the victory. And I want to bring out one last point here. When God brings us to victory in our lives, the enemy fights us. He gets us into something. Maybe he gets us into some type of addiction or some, something that will entrap us, something that will detour us, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, it's some type of distraction. Maybe it's climbing the corporate ladder and chasing after the, the American dream instead of God's dream for us. Whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. And God gives us deliverance in that area. And God brings us to victory. We need to celebrate it and we need to keep it. We need to declare his word and stand upon that and trust him. I found it interesting, and the Lord's starting to deal with me. This might become some study at some point, I don't know, about memorials, memorial altars. Moses built a memorial altar at this. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, the memorial altars are to remind us of what God did. Anytime anybody from the children of Israel could come back to that same spot later on afterward, they could see that altar and they could know and they could remember, oh yeah, I remember when Joshua had to fight. I remember when, when Aaron and her had to hold his arms up. I remember that story. And I remember how God gave us the victory there. And there's something to say about memorial altars and reminding ourselves of what God has done. Because let's just, take, let's just take this for an example. If you're involved in some type of addiction, whatever it may be, I don't know what it is. Let's just say it's, it's an addiction to depression or it's an addiction to alcohol or whatever it could be. I don't care. It doesn't matter. The point is God sets you free from that thing. But there is an enemy of your soul who will try to bring you back to that spot again. Who will try to get you entrapped again. And the way you stay free is you remember that memorial altar. You remember the Lord, my banner. You remember Yahweh Nisi. And you come back and you say, uh-uh, devil. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And you stand on that word. And you declare it to him. And you keep your victory. And that's how we do it. God gives us a rhema word. He brings us to deliverance. And we need to celebrate it by building a memorial. And every time the enemy tries to come back to that spot with us in our minds or wherever it may be. It might be a physical location. It might be in your mind. I don't care what it is. But you can stand on the word of God. And you can take whatever that word was that brought you to freedom. And you can say, uh-uh, devil. The, the enemy I defeat you in Jesus' name with the word of God. The rod of God is my banner. The rod of God, the word of God is my victory. And my faith and my belief in that word. Because the Son has set me free of this thing. And I don't ever have to go back to it again. And that's the good news for the Christian. We have Yahweh Nisi.
Not only the Lord who fights for us and fights with us, but when he delivers us, according to John 8, 36, the Son sets free, we are free indeed. And we do not ever have to succumb to that thing again. And God can help us learn how to stand in our victory through these building of memorial altars. God, he wants us to get suited up and engage in the warfare, but always remember, as Moses did, that the Lord is our banner. He is our victorious conqueror, conqueror, and he wins every battle he engages in. He will not enter a battle that he ain't going to win. He's fighting for you. He's fighting with you. And when he sets you free, you are free indeed. Praise God to know that even though we have an enemy, we don't have to fear him. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We have the greater one inside of us, the one that is committed to victory on our behalf and through us. So we remember that. And we can fight our enemy and trust our God and know that he is the Lord, our banner, Yahweh Nisi. Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that it will encourage the hearts of the people who have heard this. I pray that you will help us to remember that you do fight for us on a daily battle, a daily basis in our battles, in whatever struggles we have. Help us, Father God. You are a good God. And you have already won the victory. According to Colossians 2, 14 and 15, you've already won it. You've already disarmed our enemy. We just sometimes can fall prey to his lies. Help us, Father God, to rise up in victory. Help us to rise up. Help us to build the memorial altars in our lives that we need to build. That will remind us of what you've done. And will help us to maintain our victories. Help us, God, to have, have that ability to consider ourselves soldiers in our Lord's army, fighting, for, fighting with you and fighting for you, and knowing that we're not fighting alone. You are with us, God, and you are fighting over us, and you will win. You've already won the victory. And we thank you, Lord, that we fight not for victory. We fight from victory. And I praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, bless your people, bless the remainder of this service, and help us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.